Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Uh, we get to start a new sermon series today called The Friend Zone. Now, I know the, ta- the, the, the word friend zone is typically not a good word. Anybody know what the word friend zone means? It means you're, you are trying to get with somebody and they, they push you into the friend zone, which is not a compliment. What it means is, eh, I don't like you, right? And so I would just rather be, what do they say? Friends, right? And so, but because it's almost football season, and I love the term end zone or red zone, and I'm in celebration of that, and I wanted to talk about relationships or friendships, I was like, I think the word friend zone, we can redeem it, and we believe in Jesus for something, something good. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to you over the next three, four weeks about the significance of relationships in your life. And so you know we spent eight weeks talking about some things that were kind of difficult and kind of heavy. So I thought what's easier to talk about and lighter and won't get us in trouble than friendships, right? And so, and, but, I, but I, the truth is I think they're so stinking important. And I, I just want you to know right up front my goal for you is to get involved at the end of this in what we call home groups, right? And so whether you're a teenager, whether you're a single person, whether you're a married couple, whatever you are, we want you to take the next step in, 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 in your walk with the Lord by bidding, getting connected to other people in your community, uh, your church community, through what we call home groups. And so and the reason is, is you show me your five closest friends and I'll show you your what? I said this for you, show you your what? Your future. Thank you for those of you who have listened to me for a while. I'll show you, I, whoever you hang out with, that's where you're going. That, that's who you're becoming. And so whether you're a Christian or not, these messages will apply to you. But specifically, if you're trying to follow the Lord, your relationships are really important. In fact, I, I'm a Lone Ranger. Anybody else? And I have mistakenly said in my life, I don't need anybody. If I just had Jesus, that's enough for me, right? Like, I can just rely on the Lord. I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't care if I'm alone. I even did this when I was a teenager. Like, I was just a weird teenager, right? Like, they, people would be doing stuff, and I would just stay home and lay in front of the TV and watch Saved by the Bell. You know what I'm talking about? And, like, I, I, I don't need anyone. I can do this all by myself. Like, everything I need is right here. And I'll just pat my chest because I'm an insecure, prideful loser. And the truth is, we're created for relationships. In fact, uh, if you go to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter, chapter 2, this is proven. Adam's in the, in the, in the garden. Uh, Adam is living every male's fantasy at this point in his life. He's in a garden with a bunch of animals that are not going to kill him, that he's in control of, and that he can name. He has a pet tiger at this point in, in Scripture, right? And on top of that, he has no clothes on. I mean, let's just, most men in this room, if we could have the option to go without a shirt at least, how many are you taking it, right? I mean, I don't need my shirt. I don't care. I look good, right? Like, it's the mirror. The mirror is lying. And so, <laughs> and so he's living the dream, right? He's just living a great, and the Bible says he's lonely. And a lot of times we talk about this in the context of marriage, and I think it's, it's true, right? Male and female. But I think the, over, uh, the overall theme is, is even deeper. He's He's lonely. The Bible says Genesis chapter 2, God puts him to sleep, takes a, takes a bone, a rib out of his side, makes, makes woman. He wakes up. They're together, right? And uh, he's pretty, pretty pumped about that. And stuff kind of goes haywire from there, and here we are, you know, thousands of years later. That's the story of history. And so, uh, but there's this word that he uses. He uses the word, the Bible uses the word companion, right? Helpmate, companion. But that word companion, it goes deeper than just male and female. It's talking about the needs you have in your life from God for other people. That God created you with the need. You can't do life alone. If I had a, if I had a title for my message today, that's what it would be. Just look at your neighbor. This is old school Pentecostal church preaching. And the preacher would always say, you can't do life alone. Look at your neighbor. Tell them, you can't do life alone. Go ahead and do that real fast. 
Now look to your other person. Maybe they're lonely. You can't do life alone, girl. Hey, right? I, I'm a big, listen, I'm a big advocate for keeping your eyes open at church on what the Lord might have for you, right? And so tell me where else is better to find somebody that loves Jesus than church, right? Like, come on now. You can't do life alone. And here's, here's what's when they, they know this even outside the Bible. Now, we've heard for years, uh, smoking cigarettes is bad for you. They told me that in school. And uh, they made them really expensive, put, put big warning labels on them, like smoking cigarettes is, is bad for you. And, and I'm not harping on smoking because there's a million things we do that are bad for you. But we know, scientifically, they say, smoking is not a healthy habit for you to do. It's stealing from your life. And so they did some research on uh, smoking, and then they did some research on the effects of people who are lonely. And, and though smoking affects different parts of your physical body when you smoke, right, the physical weight on your body of being lonely has the same effect physically as smoking 15 cigarettes a day has. Isn't that interesting? They also did research and they found out that the happiest people on this earth are not the ones who have the most stuff, best pictures, most followers, uh, best accomplishments. The people who are the most happy are the ones who have good community, are the ones who are doing life with people are the ones who have things to look forward to, interactions with people, dinners with, with people, uh, picnics with, 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 with other people, conversations with people, people that they can do, do life with. In fact, they found this, 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 this article uh, this, written by this girl. I, I stumbled upon it this week, and she had visited Europe. Uh, was from Europe, sorry, and she had visited America, and she wrote about her experience with American people that seemed strange to her because of her European heritage. Now, I've never been to Europe, but the one thing that I've heard about Europe uh, is between the hours of, let's say, 11 and 2 or 12 and 3, if you are part of an Euro old European city, it shuts down. Anybody ever experienced that? Uh, my mom and dad told me this when they went there. They said between a certain hours during a work day, Everybody stops working, and they go to eat, they go to pizzerias, they go to bistros, they go to McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, places like that, and so, and, and they just hang out, and they spend time together, and they talk, and they laugh, and they encourage one another, and it feels like everybody's just on a different pace, right? She said, when I came to America, it feels like friendliness is built into the American way. Like, we don't have time to stop and be, and be friendly, she said. And she noticed that it felt like for most people, friendship was not only something that was perceived as a luxury, but it almost became a liability. And here's why. She said, in America, everybody's competitive, everybody's greedy, and everybody's angry. And it's hard to be friends with people you're competitive with. You ever notice that? It's hard to make time for friendships when you're Hey, what is the number one word Americans use in their vocabulary? What do you think it is? Busy. If I were to ask 100 people in this service or at Montgomeryville, I would lay, I'm not a betting man, but I would lay money down that the number one thing that I would hear out of the majority of people's lives, first thing, how you doing? I'm doing great. How was your week? Busy. Who'd you hang out with? I've got time for that. That's a luxury and a liability because if I hang out with people and I talk to people and I'm friends with people, I'm not going to be able to work 75 hours a week and pay for all the things that I need to pay for. My kids won't be able to be in all the things they need to be in because if I, if I, if I slow down to talk to people, how am I going to talk and drive at the same time? I don't even have time to talk to people. I can only text them and I can barely do that now. And friendships, he said, are seen as a liability and a luxury. In fact, uh, 25 years ago, if you asked the normal American, how many friends you got? They would say six. 25 years have passed. The American life has continued to change. Most of us would say we have three friends. And let me, let me, let me, just, let me just define that because some, some of you begin to list. You're like, I got a thousand friends on Facebook. What are you talking about, bro? Let me explain to you what a friend is biblically. A friend is somebody who you celebrate you're not competitive with. A friend is somebody who you'll stop doing what you're, you're doing no matter how busy you are and you'll make time for them. A friend is somebody who you want to listen to and you actually listen to them. A friend is somebody who you want to hold accountable. <laughs> that is a, a no-go for most of us. A friend is somebody who, 
you have a friend, they're able to challenge you and make you mad, and you don't walk away and say, I'm never talking to them again because they made me mad and they offended me and they got in my business. Some of y'all, I'm literally killing your list right now. A friend is somebody who will encourage you in Christ. A friend is somebody who's going the same direction. If you're a Christian, a friend is somebody who's going the same direction you are in following Christ. They're going to push you forward. And so they ask the average person in America, according to that, how many friends do you have? And the average person now says three. 25 years have passed. And what's sadder is for one out of four of us, we say zero. And I, I would say, if you, if you put it in that evaluation, for me per, personally, as a pastor, and I would say, how many people do I have that hold me accountable, that get in my business, that haven't offended me, that I want to celebrate, that I want to listen to, that I have time to consistently spend time with, that our kids do life together, and I go through all these lists, I don't know that I'm above three. It's not because I don't like people, I don't talk to people, we don't, we don't ever see each other, we don't have acquaintances. I'm saying because of the pace of my life, because of the requirements of my position, because of the drive and who, that maybe you get this, who you are, you're going, I don't have time for friendships. I'll be friends in heaven someday, right? I got stuff to do. I got decisions to make. I got kids to Uber everywhere. I, 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 got a, I got all these things going on in my life. What if I could convince you that friendships were not a luxury, they're a necessity. They're not a luxury in your life. It's not something you, you have time for. Okay, I got time. I'm in a season. It's slow or it's summertime. What if I could convince you through this message, specifically this message, but as we move forward in this series, what if I could convince you spiritually, as a follower of Christ, that relationships and friendships are not something that's a luxury, but it's actually a necessity in your life to become all that God has created you to be? What if you were created to not do life alone? I want to show you a, 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 a part of the, the Bible that has always struck me because, uh, so I'm 42 now, and uh, I consider myself young till I hit 40. How I many you know 40 is not young anymore, right? And so, uh, and some of you are much older than me, and you're getting mad at me because I said 40 is not young, but it's just reality. When you hit 40, half of your life is gone. And so, uh, and it goes fast. It's just, it's just reality. Like life is fleeting, the Bible says. And so when I was younger, I always laughed at people that were older than me uh, when they tried to give me advice. Anybody else? Not, not because they were wrong, but because you're young and you go, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm different, right? And so remember when you had little kids and people would tell you, you know, be careful, enjoy it. It goes what? When you're young and you have little kids and somebody says it goes fast and you're young, what do you want to do to them? You want to punch them. <laughs> you're not going, oh, thanks for that reminder. You're going, thank you for the reminder of how slow that this goes, right? I haven't slept for 16 days straight. I don't remember the last time I bathed, right? And like all these things. But here's the thing about it. When, they're, when, when you're young, you, you, you balk at that, and then you get older, and you go, what? They were right. You turn, and you have it. For me, I got a ninth grader and a seventh grader. I got, I, my kids are closer to being out of the house than they were to coming out of the womb. And it's happened. It's happened in a blink of an eye. And so you hear this, this, is, this, is, this, this passage right here. This is going to come from an older guy who has experienced everything that you could possibly think about experiencing on this side of eternity. His name is Solomon. The Bible was really clear. He has more money than you can imagine. He has more wives. He, he, he has more opportunity. He has more power. He has more influence. He, he has accomplished more than most of us would ever dream of accomplishing. You think of the greatest people on this side of eternity that you go, man, they're killing it. The, the, the Jeff Bezos of the world, the Elon Musk, the dudes that are doing things and the girls that you're like, I don't even know how they're accomplishing that much at this pace that they're accomplishing it. I would love to have that life. This is Solomon. And Solomon writes this book, Ecclesiastes, as an older man. I love it. He takes time to speak to younger people. And oftentimes when you're younger, you don't slow down 
to, to, to listen, but as you get older, you start to realize how fast life goes, what's really important about, about life and what's valuable and what, what lasts and what fades, and all of a sudden you go, okay, they were telling me the truth. I w- wish I would have lear- learned and listened earlier. I wish I would have applied this earlier. And so watch what, what he says in this part of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. He, he says this all the time, by the way. He says this, this phrase, you can read it. He says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. So he, he breaks down life as being under the sun. Under the sun, here's things I've seen myself participating in that have led to nothing. That have, that have led to more meaninglessness. Well, watch what he says. This is, this is interesting. He says, he says, there was a man who was all alone. Now, I have to believe he's talking about himself. There's a man who's all alone, he says. He has neither son nor brother. Now, he has brothers and he has sons. We know that from Scripture. But he's telling us because of the pace of his life that he's lived, there's this man who's all alone, he says. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. He says, I keep working, I'm so busy, I keep going, I have all these things, but as I look out, even though I have all these accomplishments, my eyes are still not content. I have stuff. This article that I read argued the number one reason that Americans don't have friends is because we have stuff. You can't have friends because you have stuff. You got to keep up with the stuff to keep up with the friends that you never see. You only see them online. So you got to make sure you put your stuff on with filters online. You know what I'm talking about? I got to have stuff. I don't got time for you because I got stuff. I don't got time to to hang out. I got stuff to do. I got stuff. I got to maintain my stuff. I got to take care of my stuff. I got to add to my stuff. Solomon says, I got all this stuff and I've worked all this time, but I turned around and I don't got any brothers with me. I don't got no sons. I don't got no relationships. He says, for who am I toiling? What am I doing all this for? And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? He says, this too is meaningless, a miserable business. You ever have that, that, that realization? Why am I so busy right now? What, what? Did anybody ever come to you and say you must be busy? You, for you to be successful, you must be stressed out. You must worry. You must work this much. You must have all those things. You ever been there? Like, why do I even have this? I don't even know why I have this. Why did I buy this? What, what am I doing? Why am I so busy all the time, he says. And then he gives us this. I love this. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. So he began, I did this all by myself, but I want to tell you something as an old man to the young people. Two are better than, than one, he says. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. He goes from, I'm busy, I'm alone, I don't have time. These are a liability. I don't know why I'm doing this. To saying, okay, let me remind you. Don't do as I, I did. Do as I say. Two are better than one. Man, it sucks when you fall down in life and there's nobody there to help you. It's really painful at nighttime in the, in, in the Middle East. It gets really cold and you go to sleep and you don't got Ben in your tent. Harry Ben warming you up, right? That's what he says. Like it, It's cold by yourself. It's lonely by, by yourself. It's, it's devastating to be alone. So let me just give you three thoughts on what I would call the necessity of friendships that he speaks about in this this book. A man with wisdom speaking to younger people. Hey, listen to what I'm telling you. Don't follow what I did. The first thing is this, is the necessity of friendships. Number one, he's going to speak on the the need for support in our stands as Christians. So here's what what Scripture is going to call you to. Scripture, when you follow Christ, is going to call you to be a light, to be salt, and to be a city on a hill. Now, maybe you're like, what does that mean? Scripture is going to call you to be different, to make a difference in your world. Are you tracking with me? That means that you are going to be sent somewhere where you look different, talk different, act different than other people, so that you can lead them to the one who makes a difference in your life. That's Jesus Christ. So 
Some of you, you, uh, uh, you go to a workplace every, every week, and it is so anti-Jesus, it's hard. You think to yourself all the time, I should probably quit because it's really difficult and nobody believes like me and nobody looks like me and, and nobody acts like me and everybody makes fun of me and maybe I should quit and maybe I should go somewhere easy. Let me, just, let me just speak to that real fast. God has you there to make a difference. He has you there to change people's lives. He has you there to be a light, to be salt to be a, be a city on a hill, but you're there every week, and every week you go in, and man, you're, you're living for the Lord, and you're not gossiping, and you're living with integrity, and you're speaking right, and man, you feel worn out, you feel beat up, you feel all alone. You go, where do I go in this situation? Easy. You find other Christians that are in the exact same boat, on the exact same mission as you, and you make time in your life to get together for you to encourage each other in your stand. You're going to be okay. You're making a difference. You can keep living like that. What you're doing has value. You know what most time Christians do? We leave and we go, we got to find somewhere else. We, we got to hide. And the reason is because you don't got anybody to support you in your stand. You're never coming back to the home base going, okay, can we pray together? Can we spend time together? Can we encourage one another? Can we build each other up? Can we lift each other up? There's some of you, you, you kids right now, you're in public schools or you're in schools where you're different than everybody else. And man, sometimes I know I can just imagine as a parent with kids, it gets difficult with your kids going into a school where, where you know the way you live is, is weird and, and it's different and, and it's countercultural. And it gets easier to just say, I I'll just bring you home where, 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 it, where it's safe. But the Bible says, go be a what? Go be a light. Go be salt. Go be a city on a hill. So what do my kids need in their life? They need other people they can come home to. Not retreat, but take a rest. They can come home to and say, hey, there's other kids. There's other people. There's other teenagers living for Jesus in their schools just like you are. We can do it. We can make a difference. And maybe your kids don't go to school. Maybe they're on a sports team or whatever other thing that they're a part of. But we can all agree that Jesus puts us on mission to make a difference. Can we agree on that? Can we also agree, man, it, sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it's so lonely. So, 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 sometimes it feels like it'd just be easier to not be the weird one. It doesn't, you know, live by standards. It just does whatever you want. Where does the wind blow you? Let's do that. It's hard to say no to certain situations because you're trying to be different. It's hard to make ch choices that look different that you know could cost you in the end and cost your kids or cost anybody else. And this is why God designs relationships. Because we need other people to come home to spiritually where we can each support each other in the stand. That's what he says. He says two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. They come home and they, 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 they support each other and then they go and they, they work together. I mean, the, the visual is easy to see. Two incomes make it easier than one, right? Two, two, two voices, easier than one. Two groups of muscles, easier than one. You ever get in a situation where you should have used two people but you only had one? And you do something stupid and you wish you would have used two people? I'm classic at that. If I see directions and it says it's a two-person job, what do I think? I'll do it with one. I do it with one. Some of the dumbest things I've ever done in my house were because I refused to invite somebody else to the party. I've wrecked floors. I've messed up bathrooms. I've done stupid stuff. I've hid from my wife and she still finds me because of stuff that I've done because I've tried to do it on my own. So we're going to encourage each other in our stand. I love what it says in Hebrews 10. It says, let us, not, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I love this part. Not giving up meeting together. We should highlight that. Most pastors will use that to make you feel bad for skipping church. The problem is, this book of the Bible was written before most churches had buildings. So what was the author trying to tell us? Don't get into a custom in a, in a culture that is so busy that you don't make time to be together. Be Be together. Spend time together. Spend time encouraging each other. I'm going to encourage you. Write it into your calendar if you, if you have to. M make sure you make time for it, he says. He says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day 
approaching. Support for our stand. Number two is this, is we need sympathy during the struggles. Now, as a 42-year-old, if I were to speak to my 20-year-old, 22-year-old self, when you're 22, you're so, you're so naive. You remember that? Like, you're like, life's going to be great. You ever write down goals when you're 22, 23, 24, 25 years old? You're like, this is all going to happen by January, right? So I remember when I started the church, I was 25 years old. I was a very naive 25-year-old man. I had all these goals, all these dreams, all these things that were going to happen, all these things that were never going to happen in my church. And uh, life was pretty easy up until that point. If I'm honest, like I, don't, I didn't have a lot of struggles. I didn't have a lot of hurts. I, didn't, I wasn't coming from addiction. I, I was married at a young age. Like I, we weren't, we, in, in a few years, we were going to get pregnant, and we didn't have a hard time getting pregnant. We just decided we're going to get pregnant, and we had a baby. Like, and so even 26, 27 years old. But Jesus says in, in the book of John chapter 16, he says, he says in this world, you're going to have troubles. He says that. And it's one of those verses you're like, yeah, 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 that's somebody else's verse. But I can tell you as a 42-year-old, over the last 15 years of my life, what I found out is life is difficult. Sometimes it's so difficult you don't even know what to do. Anybody else tracking with me? Sometimes you just want to get in a fetal position. And you just want to get in your bed and go, I I'm done. And the problem with so many of us is when we get into those moments where life is difficult, because of the lack of friendships, we have nowhere to turn. We can't. You know why we can't? Because we're so competitive and because we're so prideful. And if I'm competitive with people, I can't let them see me struggle because if I'm struggling, it means I'm getting behind them. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to be fake and I'm not going to call you. I'm going to put on my big boy pants, right? My spiritual pampers. And I'm going to make it through life and I'm going to buckle up, you know, buckle up, buckle up, buddy. Like get through this situation instead of saying, man, I got to talk to somebody. I got a friend that I call in every situation where I'm struggling. I got to work this out. I mean, I, I'm struggling with my, in my marriage. I'm struggling in my thought life. I'm struggling with my emotions. I want to quit. Who do you call when you want to quit? If you ain't wanted to quit what you're doing yet, you haven't been doing it for more than six weeks. Like, who do you call when you're ready to give up? Who are you going to call when your marriage is falling apart? Where do you go when you don't have any good Christian friends that you can be real with and say, I need help? All these other things that you've been seeing, it's not the full story. I need somebody to pray with me. And the problem is, is none of us have those close, many of us don't have those. And so because of that, when we get into the struggles of our lives, we don't have anybody to be shoulder to shoulder with us and give us the sympathy and the compassion that we need to tell us we're going to be okay. We're going to make it through. I've been there before. I, I, I've, I've experienced that before. You're not losing your mind. You're going to be okay. What does he say? He said, no, no. If some of, one of them falls down, one can help the other up. He says, think about it. Can you, in, in that time, if you went on a journey by yourself and you tripped and you hurt your ankle and you fell down and the sun set and the wildlife came out, you're going to get eaten. Something bad's going to happen. And it's going to happen because you're all by yourself and you have no one to help you. He says, that's pity in your life. We need sympathy for the struggles that we're going to go through. In fact, I love what it says in Galatians 6. Carry each other's burdens. Now, this is good because most of us spend the majority of our life thinking about our own burdens. What's the answer to your burdens? Carry somebody else's burdens. It's a beautiful thing. Carry someone else's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So here's two things you're going to do when you go through struggles that Christians can offer other, other Christians in relationship. First one, first one is you can surround each other with your presence. I'm tired of the texting and the, and the hey, if you, need me, uh, if you need me, let me know crap. You know what I'm talking about? That's like finding out somebody's moving and saying, if you need help, let me know. I don't say that. I don't say anything because I don't want to help you, right? You know, but you know, if they, you know they need help if they're moving, right? So you just show up. I'm tired of the texting. It's so much texting. It's so conveniently easy and broken, right? Hey, thinking about you. Are you? Are you? Are you thinking about me? Or did you, in the midst of your busyness, is, is that okay? Is that, is, that, is that all you can do? Or what do you do? Show up with your presence. Pull up to their house. 
hey, I'm here. I know you're struggling. What can I do? Can I cook you a meal? Can, can I take your kids? It looks like you need, you need some help right now. You had a baby. Can I, can I take your other kids for a few hours so you, you can sleep? Can I, can I clean something? Can I, can I be with you in your struggle? I, I remember this happened to me years ago. We went through a, a, a miscarriage. We were our third kid. Uh, we, we had a miscarriage. And so my wife was, I don't know, eight weeks pregnant. And uh, she went through, through that. And it's a really weird time, for, for, especially for a husband, because I feel like you're not physically and emotionally attached to that baby yet because they're not out. But the wife uh, is different. It's just it's harder on them. And so you're there to support them. Uh, with, with your presence and, and pray together and all that stuff. But I remember in that season, we had another couple in our life that was also uh, just coming out of, of that. And so in both situations, when they experienced it, we were at their place and then or they came to our place. And then when we experienced it, we went to, to their place and we, we kind of just sat together and we just, it was just an encouragement. It wasn't any words spoken. It was just encouragement. We're together. Like this is, this is, that's the power of presence. And then I remember in those meetings, because we were both believers, we would uh, speak about the promises of God. So this is what I love about Christian fellowship, is if you talk to somebody that's in a struggle and they're a non-Christian and you try to share stuff with them, you're just speaking out of your, your, your you know, proverbial backside. You don't, you don't know if it's going to be okay. <laughs> right? Like, you're like, I, I, get, I hope you're okay. Good try. But if you're a believer and you have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and the promise of his word, then when you get in those situations in your presence, you can also speak and proclaim the promises of Jesus. That's what scripture tells you to do. Like, you ever done that? Like, some of my favorite promises, you know, this is such a cliche one, but Jeremiah 29, 11, what does it say? What does it say about your life? I know the plans that, has, that God has for you. Plans to what? Prosper and not harm. So even when it feels like harm, and even when it feels like bad, and even when it feels like God is breaking something in you, he might be breaking something in you to make something out of you. It might feel like pain right now, but the Bible says joy comes in the morning. You might not see it yet, but God's working out a plan. This is the power of believers getting together. Maybe you're going through loss and it feels like you don't know where you're going to turn. And uh, man, you don't know how you're going to pay things and what you're going to do. You go to Philippians 4, 19. My God will supply all my needs. According to who? His riches. Looking at your bank account, trying to figure out what you're going to do. You've put God first. You've tithed. You've, you, you've been, you've been uh, generous in your money. You've done all the things that God has told you to do with your finances. And then something unexpected comes. You lean on the promises in Philippians 4. My God will supply all my needs. You tell them. We're going to be okay. Man, so many of us are struggling right now because we don't have anybody that struggles with us. We can't even be real. Can't be real because you're competitive. Can't be real because you're in a hurry. Can't be real because that's a liability. I have time to deal with that. I'm just going to add that to the baggage list. We're going to keep going. And the last thing that you see in this story that I love is it adds strength in numbers. We add strength in numbers. I, I love this uh, because I've seen this in my, in my life in the church. You ever hear the statement, many hands make light work? right? Like, it's just, it's so true of Christians. Like, you come together in real Christian community, and man, it feels like by yourself, you can do nothing, but together, you can do anything. I used to see that at the, at the theater. Some of you will never experience this in our church, hopefully, or maybe, maybe, maybe you will say, I don't know, I'm not going to say never. You never tell God never, and so, uh, and so I always tell God, I'll never move to Hawaii, God, and so, <laughs> I'll never do it. And so, uh, and so but, but years ago, we used to meet at the Colonial Theater, and we used to uh, get there at 6 o'clock in the morning to set up. And then I remember the mornings because they were either really hot or really cold. There was no in-between at the Colonial Theater. And a 25-foot box truck would be pulled up by Pastor Ian at the time, and so he would pull that up, and me and a few other staff members would meet him at the entrance of the Colonial I remember we would get there and it'd be freezing cold and trying to, waiting to get in, and the worker would come. And as we were waiting, I can't tell you how many people from our church would show up at 6 o'clock in the morning uh, to sweat and to freeze with us. 
And I just think if we, if we didn't have those people, if it was just the few staff members that we had at that time, we set up the Colonial Theater, and then we would go across the street, and we would turn Club 212, which is not even Club 212 anymore. We would, we would Lysol everything. We would cover up the posters because there was going to be little kids walking in there. Uh, we would throw out things in the bathroom that we could talk about outside of church that we saw. And we would have kids' church in there. So yes, Susie and Johnny were going to a secure environment at a nightclub, right? And uh, I remember just the days just coming to get, like, I thought about it, like, often afterwards. I'm like, we could have never done that by ourselves. And there's just things that God is calling you to in your life that you just can't do by yourself. The only way you can do it is with other people. He's calling you to a healthy marriage. Someone can be, you can't do that by yourself. You've never seen a healthy marriage in your life. So what is he calling you to? He's calling you to community with other people who have gone through what you've gone through in groups that can encourage you along the way. Some of you, he's calling you to be, to be sober. You've, you've tried. You don't know what to do. He's going to connect you with people that say, you can do it. You can do it through the grace and the mercy and the strength of Jesus Christ. He did it for me. He can do it for you. Some of you, he's calling you to start a company. You're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle it. I don't know the decisions that I'm supposed to make. Some of you are teachers, and he's calling you to be a different type of teacher in your school, to act differently, to give a different amount of passion. Like, I don't know what to do. There's other people that are going to come into your life that are going to bring strength in the numbers. And that's what he says. He says it really clearly. He says, he says one person might be overpowered. That's what happens. By yourself, you're, you're weak, he says, but two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In other words, divided, you're weak. Satan knows that. In fact, Jesus told Peter, he says, Satan has come to sift you. That word sift means to separate or isolate. He knows when we're isolated that he can do damage, but united, believers are strong. Believers are strong. He's called you to do life with people. So I'll tell you my goal one more time for you. My goal for you is to step outside of the comfort level that you're living at, right? Because God never does anything significant at the comfort level. And to step, as we preach through this sermon, just begin to prepare yourself. God, I'm going to step outside. I'm going to make time. That's the first one. I'm going to make time in my schedule. I'm going to have, I'm going to communicate. I'm going to meet somebody in church. I'm going to use my mouth. God, make me secure so that I can talk to somebody. God, hook up the right relationships in my life. God, I need friends. I need relationships in my life, real friends. I need somebody to hold me accountable. I need somebody to get in my business. I need somebody to support me. I need somebody I can support. I want to carry somebody else's burden. Some of you, man, we've been through some stuff as a couple. God, unite us with somebody else who we can encourage in this moment. You need, you, listen, you can't do life alone. Just, just look at your neighbor one, time, one more time and say, you can't do life alone. Just say it again. Just say, listen, don't, don't be like that. I can see some shadows. I don't see your faces. Don't worry. But I see your shadow. It is right? God does nothing significant in your life when you're like this. It's, you need a spiritual chiropractor in your life. You just need to let the Spirit of God just crack out that, that spirit, right? I don't know how to say it without, and just, listen, say it again. You can't do life alone. No, 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 no. Say, I can't do life alone. Just say, I need some friends. Anybody want to be my friend? I'm right here. I need a girlfriend. I'm just kidding, and so can't do life alone. Would you stand to your feet all over our houses? Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just out of reverence for this moment? We're going to have a good time in this series, and God's going to do some things in our church. I love, I love, there's a promise in Scripture. It's where, it's where there's unity, God commands his blessing. That's a dangerous church, a church that's unified. I have this dream for our church. I want to just explain it to you as it continues to grow in size that our processes and our structure and our lack of community and friendliness do not get in the way and here's what I mean right now currently we have 50 people in our church that are pregnant no lie like that's woohoo I'm terrified 
terrified, right? Like, we, I've, I've been walking back to our nursery every day going, oh, no, God. Oh, no, God, right? Like, where are we going to put them all? And he already got that planned out. But one of the things that I, that I, that I, that I don't want to happen to our church is because of the, of the brokenness of the friendliness in the community of our world, that what happens in churches is they get to a certain size and they can't grow anymore because they can't, they can't meet the needs of everybody in the church. So let's say 50 people are having babies and all of a sudden we don't have friends in this church. So what does that mean? 50 times over the next, the next, the next, the next year, we're going, okay, we need meals. Did somebody get them a meal? Did somebody send them this? Did somebody do that? And the reason that we do that is overcompensation for a lack of healthy community in our church. Because if every person in this church was in a home group where we had people we were doing life with, your home group would say, hey, you had a baby. What can we do? We want to cook meals. Can we come over and help you? What, what do you need? Like, we support each other. But what happens is most of us aren't in home groups, so what do we do? We need. We need. We don't. We, got, we turn to the church. Who do you turn to when you need prayer? Now, there's a time the Bible says to call on the pastoral staff and let them lay hands and anoint. That's a, that's a significant time. But the Bible nowhere says that you can't pray for each other. You can't lay hands on each other. You can't carry each other spiritually. But because most of us are not in biblical small groups, in relationships, when we need prayer, we don't know who to turn to. And I just had this dream that something would click in our church. We, we've, uh, for the last few years, 35, 40, 40 home groups every semester, three, 400 people get in. Sometimes new ones come. Sometimes people leave. They don't have time. They're in a season. And what we've seen is 35 to 40% of our church that comes on a Sunday morning is in a group. And the rest of you just kind of float in and float out and do your own thing. And I, what did I tell you? You can't do life alone. So what if I got... 35, 40, 50, 60 more percent? What if our church had 90%, 75%, 80%? What if we just miraculously had 100% of people that walked through our doors that were involved in building Christian community outside of the church in different settings and, and scenarios and all of a sudden we're united and we're ready to grow to the church, the size of the church that God wants us to be because we're healthy internally. We need each other, Period. You need people that are around you, and here's the thing, people need you. There's somebody in this church that is waiting for you to step outside of your comfort zone and make the investment into their life that somebody else made in your life. There's somebody's story who is waiting to be written because you've yet to speak into their life based on what God has done in your life already. There's somebody who needs your encouragement. There's somebody who needs your presence. There's somebody in this place, for those of you who are in here wondering, there's somebody in this place that God, in his sovereign glory, has brought to this church years before, and he knew you were going to walk through this, this church at this time. There's somebody here that's been waiting to be used by God to speak into your life, to encourage you, to strengthen you. I mean, what if we could just get to that point where we, we started valuing what's actually valuable? We started understanding that they're necessities, not, not, not luxuries. And as we, 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 we contemplate that as a church, I love talking about relationships because we have the greatest example of a friend that we could ever have in Jesus. In fact, remember the old song, What a Friend I Found in Jesus? Maybe we'll sing it one of these weeks. I won't. They will, though. And uh, it's a beautiful reminder. I've actually been listening to it as I've been preparing these messages of who I have in Christ, of how he's stuck with me and he's walked with me and he's struggled with me. And heck, I think about all the times he's had to carry me. I think about the moments that he should have turned his back on me because I was not the friend to him that I should have been. But he stayed with me. And I love to think about it because the more that you contemplate and understand the friendship that you have with Christ, naturally you become a better friend. You, you hold on to your resentments less. You forgive quickly. You give somebody a chance that you said, I'm not giving them any more chances. They've hurt me. 
and then you're reminded of how many times you've let Jesus down. And you're humbled in that moment. You're thankful. Some of you don't understand that yet. This is not a a church filled with people who are uh, holier than now. You're not surrounded by a group filled with people that are filled with spiritual accomplishments and we kind of pat each other on the back while we turn our nose up to the world that's outside because they're different. We love Jesus. We've been saved by grace. We've been forgiven more times than we can even imagine. We've let him down, but he's never let us go. So even when you watch people step into that baptistry tank, all three services, both here in Montgomeryville, you watch people take their next steps. It's not a celebration of them. It's a celebration of who Jesus is, of what he's done, of how he saves, of how he loves, of how he forgives. And that friendship is offered to you. Here's the thing about earthly friendship. What I found is most of the time when I feel like I'm lacking friendships, really what it is is fear of rejection. If I put myself out there and I really invest and I ask them if they want to hang out and I really give give them, you know, what's inside of me, maybe they're not going to like me. So I stay closed off. And what happens is a lot of my earthly relationships suffer. No trust, no realness. And I've been studying relationships and what it takes is vulnerability, openness. A willingness to step outside of yourself. Which, by the way, is the same thing that it takes to receive Christ. Vulnerability. I can't do life on my own. Trust. Jesus, I trust in you. I believe in what the word of God says, that you came to this earth, died on a cross for my sins. That when you shed your blood, it was for the forgiveness of who I am as a person, the broken person. And it's through your death, your burial, and your resurrection that not only am I forgiven, but I have new life in you. And Jesus, I need that. I'm going to put my whole life in your hands right now. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to receive you. And Lord, this is where life changes. This is where life changes. This is where hope is restored. This is where mercy is renewed. This is where anger ceases. This is where depression is broken. This is where addiction is healed. Why do I say that? Because most of the time we live our life in response to all the things that have been said and done to us. And instead, you begin to live your life in response to what Jesus did for you on that cross. And stuff changes. And he's here. And the Bible says he knocks at the door of people's hearts. He knew the exact seat you were going to sit in today. And he loves you more than you can imagine. And he is offering you a friendship right now. He's offering to save you and set you free. But you got to be vulnerable. And you got to trust him. I need Jesus Christ. I need him to heal me and make me whole. And today I want to give up my life. If that's you all over this place as we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And you say, hey, you're speaking to me right now. I'm going to ask you to do something. And it's a little bit uncomfortable. It takes a little bit of courage. But I told you nothing changes in your life when you're living in comfort. It's a little bit of courage with nobody looking around. And you say, hey, you're speaking to me right now. I don't know Jesus, but I want to. I'm lonely. I'm hurt. I'm angry. I'm bitter. I'm tired. And I want Jesus. I want him to come into my life. I need him to heal me and make me whole. If that's you all over our, our campuses, both here in Montgomeryville, and you say, that's me. Just as, as, as much courage as you can muster. Stepping outside of your comfort zone, if you would say, that's me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Don't hinder the work of the Lord. If that's you all over this place, would you shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, that's me, Pastor. I need Jesus to come into my life right now. I need him to heal me. I need him to make me whole. I see a hand right here. Is there anybody else? I need him to forgive me. I see another hand right here. Is there anybody else that said that's me? If you're in Montgomery, we're going to give you one more second. And I want to pray with you as we close. 
And uh, last week we tried something different in uh, third service, and I, I loved it. My wife told me about it a few weeks ago, and of course I didn't listen to her the first time. Uh, but she said, when we pray, let's pray together. If we're really about unity, nobody should pray by themselves. And I just love that. So all over this place, whether you know Jesus or not, there's people in this place that are receiving the Lord, and they're joining our family, our dysfunctional, loving, grace-filled family. The Lord's doing the work, and so we're going to pray together. Nobody prays alone. We're going to pray out loud like we love the Lord, and we're excited about the work that he's doing. So all over our campuses, would you just begin to pray? Let's say Jesus. Jesus. Let's say it like we mean it. Say Jesus. Jesus. We love you. We We thank you for coming and dying for our sins. We thank you for healing us and for making us whole. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust you with our entire lives. We thank you, Lord, for your love, for your mercy, for your grace, on top of grace, on top of grace, on top of grace. Now, Lord, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done. And, Lord, all that you continue to do. And Lord, I pray right now that you would just, uh, Lord, you would sweep this place with the spirit of unity. Lord, that this, this message would set in, Lord, and, and, and this, that you would just do something in our church. That this would just become a banner season for our church. Something that seems so insignificant and forgotten in our culture. We're so busy. We got so much stuff going up. We don't even have time for friendships anymore. But Lord, that there will be so much changing of what we're doing. Lord, more focus on what's really important in this side of eternity. And Lord, thank you, Lord, in advance for what you're going to do in this season of our church. Lord, the friendships that are going to be birthed. Lord, the encouragement that's going to happen, the burdens that are going to be shared, and Lord, the blessing that's going to come on the other side of this church that's unified. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for all that you continue to do in and through our lives in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, let's shout amen together like we mean it. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message, or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.